Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Sararis. Had a really good episode yesterday with Ajay Patel, one of my football nerd friends from Twitter. We had a really wide-ranging discussion about prospects in the draft, philosophies for the draft, teams to keep an eye on, what prospects are going to be the ones that really make teams question how they evaluate talent. Really good draft talk on yesterday's show. If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, I highly encourage you to do so. Today's show... This isn't quite a recurring thing. This isn't like the weekly radio spot where the managers of the New York baseball teams go on WFAN. But again, third Friday in a row, Chris Schweitzer, the host of the Sports Report with Chris Schweitzer, is here to talk about Major League Baseball. We've got a bunch of different topics to talk about. But before we get to today's show, I do have to remind everyone to please support the show. First of all, wherever you get your podcast, please make sure you subscribe to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. Number two. If you are using Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave the show a review. On Apple Podcasts, you're going to scroll past our recent episode on the show's page. You're going to find five clear purple stars at the bottom. You're going to hit the one furthest to the right. That's a five-star review. Underneath that is a button with purple letters that says write a review. If you were to be so kind and leave a few words, please, please, please. Reviews are really helpful for content creators, especially in the podcasting space. Any review would be nice. Appreciated. All right, I'm not going to meander on too long. We're two and a half, three weeks into baseball season. Some of the early storylines are starting to develop, and we got a few interesting things to talk about. Chris and I will see you on the other side of the drop. And with that, I'm very happy to welcome back to the show the host of the Sports Report, Chris Schweitzer. How are we doing, Chris? I'm doing pretty good. The Mets won again today. They, they're looking pretty hot. The bats are rolling. Lindor is uh, hitting the shit out of the ball, so I'm doing all right. I think we manifested this. I think we manifested the Lindor comeback season because we were the only two people who weren't worried. We were, it's fine. One bad year, not going to define the next nine, but... He looks great right now. He legitimately looks great up there. He's not swinging at garbage. He's using the entire field. He's walking more. All of the things that tell you he's hitting confidently, the the fancy statistics back that up. Yeah, no, he he looks great. He's on time with everything too. I think um you actually showed me that that athletic article yeah. um about him a few days ago and how like his first the first series of the year, he was kind of his timing was off and Eric Chavez was like, "Hey, like do this like made like a tiny little tweak and ever since then he's been hitting the crap out of the ball and he's he's on time with everything and he's not he's not reaching he's not ahead of anything i mean that was like his entire first two months in the Mets jersey last year was every single pitch every time he swung the bat he was like he was sticking his ass out because he was way ahead of it and his timing was so off and that's why he couldn't hit the ball last year and now it's that's like it looks like a completely different person right now he looks great so um, you know, I'm, I'm happy for him and shout out Eric Chavez. Cause he is yeah. so far, he has been, he has been a godsend. So I, I'm looking forward to the first Buster only tweet about Chili Davis. I'm very much looking forward to that this <laughs> summer. That, uh, the baseball writers kill me sometimes. So today I think we're going to start out with what you suggested. We're going to talk about that mid clat tier group of teams, the ones that spent a little bit of money or they extended guys. They already had in house. What team do you want to start with? I think Cleveland's Cleveland might be the most interesting as of right now because like they like kind of gutted it, but they also have the best roster of a team, not only in that mid tier but also of a team that's like kind of gutted it. Like they have Jose Ramirez is top five third baseman of baseball, like a top ten to fifteen play like just player in all of baseball. He is Jose Ramirez is incredible. Um, you got Bieber, you got, you know, you, you got, you got Tristan McKenzie, like you got a great rotation. You got some good arms in the bullpen. Um, Framil Reyes is good at DH. Like they have a pretty decent lineup, yeah. um, but their outfield's a little shaky. Although Steven Kwan is like Ted Williams right now. So, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, obviously he's going to come down to earth eventually, but you know, like they, they have a pretty decent team. And like I talking about the reason I want to talk about it, cause they, they're a small market team, but at least they spend like it, but they spent some money. I mean, they got, they got a, a very, they got a bargain very much. So with Jose Ramirez, like yeah. without a doubt, they're paying him 
nothing close to what he's worth actually like if he was on the open market he would have gotten way more money but he didn't want to so fair play to him he got he still got a ton of money um i think they also extended miles straw um he's pretty cheap in center field they extended uh class a their closer like they they threw some cash around and you know i i'm it's kind of interesting like i don't know if we talked about it here on the podcast or if, i think it was i think it was just like on xbox just you know just talking but it almost seems like there is some some like i guess unwritten or like unreported yeah. rule in the CBA where teams have to spend money because it's it's not just Cleveland that that you know handed out some big money in extensions but um i mean Colorado just did it with Kyle Freeland i don't know why they paid him that much but they they extended him and of course they gave Chris Bryant the big money after the lockout um Detroit obviously spent a ton of money. Texas spent a bunch of money. There's like a few teams that like went pretty big on extending guys like P- Pittsburgh yeah. extended Cabrian Hayes. Like a lot of these teams, Arizona extended Ketel Marte and Merrill Kelly. Like a lot of these teams that don't typically spend any money and would be perfectly fine to just like play out a player's arbitration years and just let them walk after that or like trade them, you know, with a year or two left on their contracts and arbitration if they're not going anywhere, the team they're extending these guys. They're like giving yeah. them money now. And I don't know. It's, 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 I find it very interesting. And like I said, I, I don't, I don't know if there's some like unwritten rule or like rule that wasn't reported about where these teams have to spend some money, because like I said, a lot of these teams don't normally spend money and they're spending money right now. So. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if there were some kind of handshake thing where they all kind of agreed just to kind of bring the temperature down based on how contentious some points of the lockout were to say, all right, we got to give some guys money. We don't have to go crazy, but if you have someone in house, take care of them. Don't go nuts, but make sure you're paying them to kind of bring the temperature down because we the middle class and the lower tier teams are the reason a lot of these financial tools that are in baseball exist. Things like arbitration, the international draft, the slotting of salaries for the regular draft. All of that stuff is here because of teams like the Guardians, like the Royals, like the Rangers, who aren't going to spend a ton of money, but want to be able to be financially competitive with the big market teams, even though we're not talking about on the field we're talking about just making revenue based on the revenue sharing which is kind of a bad thing i i go back and forth on whether revenue sharing is a good thing for baseball because in a vacuum yes you gotta give the small market teams ammunition to compete with the bigger teams but there's no rule that they have to spend x amount of the revenue sharing which i think is something that maybe if the players union ever has balls again we could push for because that would actually incentivize these teams to try and win where if you have x number of years being in the revenue sharing group you're disqualified from getting further revenue something along those lines to incentivize being competitive because there are teams who will just do 10 years of rebuilding yeah i mean there's there's a a lot of teams like too many teams that are perfectly content with with just pocketing like you said pocketing that money like yeah taking the revenue sharing money and with no intentions of putting that back into the team or if they put it back in the team they do it just enough to say they did it and then still pocket like plenty of money and then maybe you know every once in a while they get lucky and they get like a good group of of young players all come through with like you know in the same like two to three year span and they have a really short window um where where they like actually contend but then you know you see them blow it up again like after after only a few years with that with that window so you know yeah like you said it's it's they're like they're, I don't know if you could change the owner's mindsets with that without you know you have to change the rules about it. I don't I don't know yeah. what would be the best way to do it, but yeah, like you said, maybe maybe cutting them off from the revenue sharing if they're in that so many. I mean, they did it with the draft, right? Yeah, the small market teams if they're in the top ten or top whatever, like top whatever the the lottery picks are, if they're in those lottery picks for like multiple years in a row, then then they can't be in it again after that for a number of years. Or if the big market teams, they can't be in you know in that same so. There's a way to do it, like you said. If the players' union really wanted to push for that, it'd probably lead to another lockout. Yeah. <laughs> if they were like really adamant on pushing for the the ending of you know or the to try to I guess curb revenue sharing manipulation, but you know there, there's certainly a way to go about it. It would, but like you said, yeah, it would it would be really tough. Because I mean, we're watching teams die in real time. We are watching the Oakland A's franchise as we know it die a, a one day at a time death until they can move it somewhere else. 
and that is entirely unfair to everyone who is in that organization, to the fans of that team who, if there was a good team, they would support it. I mean, why would I pay to go see that lineup? I mean, they had, I think, a 3,000 attendance the other night and the first home series of the year. What do you try? It's just a fundamental misunderstanding of just what baseball is supposed to be. I understand you own the A's to make money, but at the same time, you could be making money if you invested in that stadium at some point in the last 50 years, as opposed to waiting for it to fall apart. There are just little things like, I mean, we talked about it last week in particular, we talked about the Reds and the A's being two of the most glaring examples of this. But I mean, when the A's are just saying, we have no interest in competing because we want to go somewhere else, I think that tells you the economics of baseball aren't working, that a franchise is just fully content to punt on an entire season before it even starts and made no attempt in hiding their attempt to give up. Yeah, I mean, like you said, like, like, the yeah, the, the I think the number the other night was like 2,700. It's the lowest yeah. it's been in I don't even know how many years. And it's it's like people keep reposting that and like putting it up like it's a problem with with the A's, but or like the fans, but in reality it's it's the ownership like why why would you as a fan like you can't and all the fans saying like oh like A's fans are awful they're not showing up to games like how many of those same fans could would willingly go to a game if your team traded your five best players yeah and you only got like one or two major league ready players in in return for that you know what i mean like you know like they they had a core they had a legit core and it's just completely gone. Like they traded yeah. Matt Olson, who's an also they traded Matt Chapman, who's a platinum glover. They traded what they traded, they traded Bassett, they traded um Manaya, they're probably gonna trade Montas soon. Same with Sean Murphy. Like, there's nobody on that team you want to go watch. Like Christian Pache is can be exciting. He's an exciting young prospect, but he hasn't he hasn't hit his stride yet. So he's not him alone isn't gonna get people to the ballpark. It's like I don't like I don't know. Like I, I don't blame the fans one bit for not showing up. Yeah. And like you said. That stadium's literally falling apart. Like anybody, anywhere, any reporter, any fan, whatever, has gone to that stadium says it's the worst stadium in North America. Like it's just, it is, it is literally a dump. And I'm pretty sure the city of Oakland wants to like build a new stadium. They're like on board with, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll like help you build a new stadium. But the team's like, no, we want to go to Vegas. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's their plan. Like they're going to go to Vegas. And I don't know if there's any stopping that at this point. Like, I don't know if there's anything that could be done at this moment in time that could stop them moving to Vegas. Like you said, it seems like they are very much intent on, on just punting this, this entire season and pretty much one year of all these players' careers is being wasted. And yeah. then they're going to move to Vegas at the end of the season because that's, that's just what the ownership wants. And they feel like that's what's going to make them more money. So. I don't know. It is, it is, it's insane that this can happen at this level, but you know, here we are. So moving away from the off the field stuff, moving more towards on the field. The first thing I wrote down is I went and looked through Garrett Cole's baseball savant. Cause I was at the Met game with our friend, Darren, who's a Yankee fan. And we were talking about it. And he was saying that Cole is very rhythmic and his pitch pitch sequences and if teams do good pre-scouting they can kind of have a good beat on what's coming and that's when he can kind of get into trouble and i the baseball savant splits kind of support that but there are a few things that i found interesting he's using his fastball a lot five six percent less than he has in recent years He's using his curveball and slider a lot more, and they're both moving more, which is kind of weird because we kind of assumed with the spider attack crackdown last year that his pitches wouldn't have as much movement. But at the same time, he's also throwing fewer strikes. So I think just in a, a layman's very quick cursory search through baseball savant, you can tell he's trying to overcompensate for not having as much spin on his pitches. So he's overthrowing them. He's not throwing as many strikes, so he's using his fastball less. So when a fastball does come, hitters are really on him. I mean, he's got a higher line drive rate against, which supports that theory that guys are sitting fastball on him. So I think there's a very clear, like, he's in his own head kind of thing, which is good because that's fixable. This isn't an injury thing or something, a decline thing. This is just a, he's overthinking it and they need to rework his sequences. Yeah, I, I think I think I mean like I don't want to like rag on the guy, but yeah. I think it's also quite clear that he's may not be like I don't know I don't want to say like he's weak mentally, 
but I think it's I think it's easier to rattle him than like say some of the other top tier yeah. pitchers in baseball, like like a Degrom or a Scherzer or like a Verlander. You know what I mean? Like or like a Kershaw. Those guys, you you throw you throw shit at them, and they're they're just gonna brush it off, and like they don't they're it's they're much more well equipped to to handle a lot of adversity and still you know persevere through it. And not to say Cole hasn't like he's a great pitcher. You don't get to be as good as he is without being able to handle adversity adversity. I just think he, he might not be at the same level as those other guys. Like, yeah. like I said it a hundred times on this podcast, Max Scherzer is a psycho. I don't think Garrett Cole's a psycho. Um, so, you know what I mean? I, I think, I think that's yeah, the mental thing is probably simple. But like you said, that could be fixed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he, he might not even have to do anything specific. He might just need, you know, some, some, some luck to bounce his way. And he has a couple of decent games in a row where, you know, maybe the guys are, are still on him, but they're hitting the ball right at the fenders and he gets like two, three, you know, good, good starts in a row. And then he's, he's back, he's back to normal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like then, then he, he gets his confidence back, everything starts working again. And then he's back to Cole as you know it. Like, I'm sure that's, that's what's going to be the case eventually. He's not going to be this bad all year. Yeah. Um, I'm sure this is just a slump in a long season and it just happens. It just happening to come at the beginning of the year, so everyone gets all worried. But you know, if he was normal cold to start the season, and he has this slump in July, nobody cares. But yeah. you know, it's the start of the season, so you know, obviously everyone starts to worry about it. But I'm sure he's going to be fine. Yeah, the limited spring training, I think, is really kind of getting glossed over that they had it all of 25-day-long spring training for everybody to get up to speed. And it seems like it's impacting the pitchers more than the hitters right now. And we talked about this last week, but that's a perfect example. Somebody like Cole, who had a kind of rough patch at the end of last season, came back in, had all of three weeks to ramp up to start the season, and hey, he'll be fine. Uh, he will be fine. I'm not particularly worried about him, but it was interesting to go and actually kind of peel back the layers and look at the baseball savant splits and actually kind of understand what's not working for him. And that's a tool that I wish there were equivalents for in other sports, but baseball has got the stat tracking kind of down to a science at this point where if you want to diagnose what's wrong with somebody, you can kind of do it in like 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah. And it's like, everybody can get a hit. Like, I mean, pretty much anybody can, can like find it anywhere on the internet. You know what I mean? Like some sites, some, some statistics you have to pay for, but even then it's, it's not like a crazy high rate. You have to pay to, yeah. to find a lot of these stats. And obviously, you know, the, the front offices have, they have, they have um, access to higher end statistics, but still yeah. like, again, we're just two regular guys and we we could still get access to very, very like high end advanced statistics um and I, I don't know i th- like i'm surprised i'm surprised baseball isn't more popular because of that because like you said yeah. i don't know if any other sport has this has, has yeah like you said like statistics down to this much of a science and um like this readily available and i i mean i, I don't know if any other sport can do that because yeah. i mean baseball is such a percentage sport like yeah. all of the main stats are basically the percentage stats um, and counting so like it's it's a lot different like I don't know how you do that in football but yeah you know it's ba- baseball is great in that sense and like it, it is kind of shocking that it's not bigger but yeah all, all these all these sites huge huge um, resource for for guys like us yeah and that's a really good way to transition to talking about the next thing I have on our rundown here is talking about Miguel Cabrera and just longevity in baseball because you I still think about Miguel Cabrera being like a chubby teenager on the Florida Marlins like when I picture Miguel Cabrera in my head I still picture him as a kid on the Marlins not you know 38 years old on the Tigers yeah it's it's you like you can't think of Miguel Cabrera and think of him as not like a dominant hitter like every time he steps in the box he is he's like a threat and you know to be fair he's still really not that bad like yeah so far this year he has a 780 ops like last year he had a 7 700 but like he's never gone below 700 ops um and then he i mean he had a stretch like he is he is i've said this for years like he is and it's not a hot take like he's the best hitter of this generation he just is just pure hitter the absolute best of this generation he is He's incredible across the board. He could do everything you ask for. He, he, I mean, he has, I'm looking at his base reference right now. He has four batting titles, three, th- three, or all in a five year span. He led the league in, in OPS twice, led the league in slugging twice, led the league in on base four times as well. Like, of course, the, the triple crown year, um, which was, which was like incredible. 
Um, he, I mean, he is, he is, like I said, he's the best hitter of this generation. There's no, there's no way of denying that or going around it. That's just who he is and how great he's been. Um, and he's still, he's still a pretty good hitter. Even at 39 years old, he's still somebody who is not like, he's still a plus, a plus bat in the box for, for, for his team, for the Tigers. Yeah. I mean, I, you, I talked with you about it and we both read it that long form article about just all the different people he's come across during his time in baseball and the weird things he's done where it's just kind of like, yeah, every single batting practice, he only goes the other way the entire time, like weird shit like that. And the science of hitting is just so interesting when you break that, break it down. I mean, you go on YouTube and you watch the videos of Tony Gwynn and Ted Williams just talking about hitting and the science of hitting. And you could spend an entire lifetime on YouTube watching videos, trying to learn how to hit and it is the hardest thing to do in professional sports I, I know the people who don't watch baseball don't really get it but when you think about it being successful in baseball as a hitter is one out of three times you are an elite baseball player if you are successful one out of three times that is not true in any other sport that is just it's really hard to wrap your head around if you're not actively thinking about it yeah, I remember one of my like little league coaches told me that at a super young age. He was like, This is the only like you could hit, you could you could fail at the plate seven times out of ten and be one of the like go to the hall of fame and be one of the best hitters ever. Failing seven out of ten times. Like baseball is a game of failure, but you know, these like you said, some of these guys, they just they're just on a different level. Like they they really are guys like Cabrera, guys like like you said, Tony Gwynn, like Ichiro. It is just yeah, there there is a different level to hitting, and these guys have reached that that not very few people could get to. Um, and we even have, I don't want, I, I we have a couple guys in the game right now who are definitely like obviously Miguel is is still in the game right now, but not not what it used to be. But um, I also, we also want to talk about Mike Trout, yeah, who is in the game right now. Another guy just on a different level, not quite the science of hitting like these other guys, but just an incredible, incredible baseball player, maybe the best we've ever seen just as an all around player. Um, but I think the interesting thing with him is he has, even though he's only 30 years old, he has such a, a, a checkered injury history in his a pretty young career, which is something that not a lot of these other guys have like Griffey did obviously, but like I'm looking at, again, looking at Cabrera's baseball reference. He's played over a hundred games pretty much every year until he was 35 years old. So, you know, like he was always there. He was always, he was always playing and that's not something that, that trout has been able to do i was talking about this the other day with i forget who it was i was talking about trout with trout has a 77 career war and that is with three seasons under two he has three seasons under two war including this year obviously we're only you know three weeks into the season so we'll take that away so we'll say he's at 76 war for his career and that's with two seasons of 1.8 war just other level of dominant i mean multiple 10 war seasons in a career is special like genuinely best of all time type special and i've been saying it basically since i think the second trout mvp this is mickey mantle without the switch hitting that is the type of player we're talking about the elite five tools all world speed great plate discipline which is i think kind of underrated when you think about it because when we think about baseball you think about the five tools the power hitting regular hitting fielding speed and defense you think about that plate discipline isn't one of the five tools in that traditional sense but that's what makes trout great he gets on base at 45 percent of the time because he draws so many walks because people are terrified to pitch to him yeah and like talking about war we were just gushing about how Miguel Cabrera is the best hitter of this generation, yeah. how great he is. His career war is 68.8. Yes. And he's, and, and he's, is eight and, clear. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. He's eight clear of that. And, and Cabrera's 39. Yeah. Now, obviously Cabrera doesn't get the, like he, he is not a plus defender like Trout is or Trout was, you know, when, you know, for the most of his career, but still like, it just goes to show how great Mike Trout is. Like we were just talking about this guy, Miguel Cabrera, who's best hit of the generation deservedly you know deservedly getting that title and trout is already has a better career than him and trout's nine years younger yeah you know what i mean like trout could have a whole nother career better than miguel cabrera at this point in his career like it, it is it is it is it's almost like like tom brady in in 
the NFL yeah. where it's like his numbers like before 35 and after 35 or whatever, whatever the, the numbers are. It's like he has like two Hall of Fame careers in one career. Like Trout is probably going to get to that point, assuming, like I said, he could, he's able to like get past these like weird injury bugs that, it, that he gets. But you know what I mean? Like he, he could very easily have multiple Hall of Fame careers inside of one single career. Yeah, I mean, like he's, when you think he's, he's already had it and he's 30. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say he's already ten, he's 10 years in and he could retire tomorrow and five years from now. First ballot Hall of Fame. No question. No doubt. Yeah. Not a hesitation. And it's the one that sticks out to me is baseball is probably the sport with the most what ifs just because of the weird injuries that happen. I mean, you think about Mickey Mantle's leg. You think about Griffey, just the nagging lower body injuries. I mean. Griffey had a pretty good career post-Seattle in Cincinnati with the White Sox. He wasn't a bad player, but he obviously wasn't the player he could have been. I mean, if Griffey stays healthy, he's probably got an outside chance at the home run record, which is probably what stings the most about him. But Trout is unquestionably probably the best baseball player in my lifetime. I mean, I always assumed it was going to be him after like three seasons and he was already unquestionably the best player in baseball. And even now, like, after missing basically two whole seasons, the the consensus in the preseason picks was like, I'm not betting against anybody. I'm not betting anybody over Mike Trout to win American League MVP. That's just how much respect he's garnered. And not a long time. I mean, you really can't. It's like, again, it's like to go back to Brady. It's like you bet against Mike Trout to win to win an MVP and then he wins it. And you're like, well, that was obvious. Like, of yeah. course he was going to win it. You know what I mean? Like you bet against Tom Brady. Like that's how I felt when I, I bet the Chiefs in the, yeah. the Chiefs Buccaneers Super Bowl, I bet the Chiefs, and I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like yeah. it's Tom Brady in the freaking Super Bowl. Of course he was gonna win the game. Like why? Like it doesn't matter who's there. Like obviously Tom Brady. Like you, you just you feel like like an idiot when you bet against these guys. So like you can't you can't do it. It's just it, they make it impossible for you to bet against them because they're just they're just that good. And then it's like when they do win, it's so it's like so obvious that. You know what I mean? I, I like yeah. he, like you said, he is he is he is an incredible, incredible player. You know who's baseball savant I was looking at and I was kind of like I I was looking at Pools. Pools is actually hitting the ball pretty well right now. Like granted he, he's not an everyday player right now, but he's hitting the ball really hard. Well that's I mean that's what the Dodgers did with them last year because like even even when he was in the, when he was on, when he was in Anaheim still, he he had good splits. Yeah. He couldn't hit righties but he was great against lefties. So the Dodgers got him and they were like, well, we'll just hit him against lefties. Not only because they're, they're a very deep team and they didn't have to play him every day, but also because they weren't really paying him any money. Like he was getting the yeah. minimum from the Dodgers because the angels were still giving him all, all, you know, the rest of his contract for that year. So they were like, we'll just hit you against lefties and just use you where, where your numbers say you're good at. And he was pretty good. And now that's what the, the Cardinals are doing. Like, again, they're not paying him any money. So they're like, we're only going to, we're only going to, you know, put you in when we'll basically platoon you for the whole season. And now with the DH, they can easily do that. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? Like the angels were in a tough spot where they were paying them 25 million a year or whatever. So they kind of had the, to play him every day. Um, but you know, when, when he's used how he could, you know, and when he, when he's used in a way where he, he could succeed, he does a pretty good job. Like he had, he had a 760 OPS last year in 85 games for the Dodgers at 41 yeah. years old. Like, he was put in a position to succeed and he did a great job of it. So, you know, now, now the Cardinals are done. I'm not, I'm not really shocked he's doing well, but it, it is a testament to how good he is. Also 42 years old and he's, he's hitting the crap out of the ball. That's one of those things that I think we lose sight of, especially I would say in football and baseball is you don't have to be great at everything, but as long as you're good at one thing and a team recognizes that one thing and that's all they ask you to do, you can still have a lot of value and still be inexpensive. I mean, you think about all the pass rushers the Patriots ran through over the years who are seven and a half to eight and a half million dollars a year players. You think about some of the guys that have come through as the fourth outfielder slash platoon split guy. That's all you really need. And you can hang around forever. Like pools could play another two, three years doing lefties only. I'm especially now that there's the DH. That's all you need, man, especially in baseball, where you can kind of target specific skill sets for your bench. I mean, last year we saw the Giants do this masterfully, where their entire roster, where they used all 25 guys, because every guy was good at one specific thing. Yeah, I know. Like, that's what I was just about to say. Like, we talk about the Giants, and you're like, how does this team win so many games? Their lineup stinks. 
but then you look at it and it's like they're like all platoon guys like yeah. like i mean who plays every day crawford plays every day brandon belt plays every day like um i mean posey played every day like you know for the most part last year but yeah like Wilmer Flores, a platoon guy jock peterson now platoon guy austin slater Corey dickerson last year darren ruff these are all platoon guys these are all guys who only hit one side of the plate really well one you know one one pitcher very well but you know if you can interchange them on any given day it's gonna work and it worked like you said it worked it worked they had the best record in baseball last year they won 107 games basically platooning half their lineup every day. Like their lineup every day was completely different, you know, because it, it was just completely matchup based. Um, and yeah, like you said, like that, I again, baseball is, I think the only sport where you can do that. Like you can't yeah. do that in football or hockey or basketball or anything like that, but baseball, it works and team teams see that it works now. And that's, I, I'm, that's probably going to be like the next revolution. Like that's probably going to be where all these, all these really cheap teams try to go and just get a bunch of guys, platoon guys, yeah, and you know maybe 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 they get value. You know maybe those platoon guys start to build up their value because of that. But you know it is it is incredibly interesting to to watch that and watch how well that worked for the Giants last year. I mean, we just the Mets just played the Giants, so I kind of feel like the other thing I wanted to touch on in regards to the Giants and the Mets have been doing it a little bit this year is just playing a lot more aggressively, using base runners as a weapon to kind of linger in the pitcher's mind, even if they're not stealing, doing the pseudo steal where they go halfway down the line just to get in the pitcher's head, being really aggressive with one out and trying to steal second to get in a scoring position to manufacture offense in a way. And we've talked ad nauseum that the home run is the most efficient way to score in baseball, and it's why walks and home runs and outs and strikeouts are the three real outcomes now. But there is an undercurrent of a conscious attempt to go against that from some of these teams that don't have just pure power guys, that it is more expensive to get the guys who are just the three true outcome guys. So in trying to get these platoon guys or these speed guys, there is a little bit of a market inefficiency there. Now, you probably can't build the whole team out of these kind of guys, at least not unless you have it down to a science like the Giants do, but it is something to keep an eye on as we go forward here because the Mets have been doing a lot. I mean, they've... They haven't gotten burned yet with the caught stealings and being thrown out at the plate yet. And we have to see over the course of a long season if it balances out or if they're actually being better on the bases. But that is an area where we're kind of that's undervalued, underrepresented, whatever you want to say in today's game. Yeah, not even just with base stealing, too. Like Joey Cora, the third base coach, that man yeah. is a lunatic. Yeah. He's sending guys like he's sending Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso scored from first on, a, on yeah. the other day. Like he ascended Pete Alonzo, like he was running on the pitch, but still like Pete Alonzo's going from first base on a double. He, he was, he was booking it around the bases and I, it, it hurt. It, it hurt them a little bit. I remember the first series of the year when they were yeah. in Washington, I think they had like two games in a row, like the first two games, they had a guy thrown out at home um, because Corey was just like, he's super aggressive, but it's working now. And like it's going to be one of those things, like you said, it's going to balance out eventually where like, there'll be stretches where, being aggressive works and it's great. And, you know, either, either it was the right move just cause the guy, you know, they beat the throw or you're putting pressure on defenses and they, they mess up throws and you get extra base out of it. Or, you know, sometimes it's going to sting and they're, they're going to get a lot of guys thrown out in, in situations where you don't want to make an out, but you know what I mean? Like it's, I, I, the, the, the aggression is fun to watch. Um, cause at yeah. the very least, like I said, it, it puts, it puts pressure on the defense like I, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't usually get upset on like a base running mistake where the only way the guy gets thrown out is basically a like a perfect run, play. Yeah. yeah. Perfect play by the defense. Like if it's a perfect relay, you know, from, from the outfielder to the relay guy to, to whoever, you know, whatever base the, the runner is trying to get to, if it's a perfect play, it's a perfect play. Like you can't, you know, you can't do anything about it. Um, so I, I really, I really don't mind the aggression. I like, I like putting pressure on teams, I like making teams feel uneasy. I think it, I think it's a, a pretty sound strategy. Um, really test a team and see how, re, like, really see how good they are and how, how well they handle that pressure. And they, like, and they were talking about the Brock and the S and White say like this team has, they have the personnel to do that. I mean, I yes. think they were talking about the hit, the hit and run most for the yeah. most part, or how they have like they have like a lot of guys who can run the hit and run, but. They have a lot of guys who can be aggressive too. They they yeah. really test their aggression. Like a lot, a lot of these guys on this team are good runners. Even Pete, who's funny to watch run, 
he he moves like he can move and he gets going. But like Lindor yeah. is good. Lindor is quick. Nimmo, McNeil, Marte, Escobar is pretty quick too. Like all these guys can move and all these guys are very good at putting pressure on on defenses to to make exceptional plays. Yeah, because I mean the Giants are maybe the most. I don't know if it's anecdotal or not, but it really does seem like the Giants bunt the most out of any team in baseball, and it's partly as a counterbalance because they don't have the guys who can hit a ton of home runs. So it is a tool in the toolbox if you have the right personnel for it. I mean, I know the bunt, the stolen base, the hit and run, all that kind of stuff that seems like a vestige of another game. It's still here. I mean, people like Bach, people like Tony Larusa, they might be the only people who still believe in it but it is there if you have the personnel to run it so it has been interesting to watch especially early in the season with a new coaching staff that the Mets have been so aggressive and I, to your point the buck has said that more than once that they want to be aggressive to force the defense to make a perfect play so in theory that is a way you can counterbalance against a defense and it's an interesting way to think about it speaking of ways to play it is worth pointing out now that we are three weeks into the season and the home run rate is down a decent bit. And most people are speculating that it's just that baseball messed with the baseballs again, which they've been doing on and off for the last couple of years. But in terms of just style of game, where are you at on this? Because I feel like baseball doesn't know what it wants, and that's the biggest problem. Yeah, they, they always – it does certainly seems like – I mean, obvi- it's very obvious that they, they've messed with the baseball. I think it was even actually – it's like reported as fact that they messed with the baseball. But even even if it wasn't reported as fact, we knew with what happened in 2019 that the baseball was juiced that year. Like mm-hmm. that ball was juiced in 2019, and then it was drastically deadened in last year. Um, and then, you know, only in like in, in spots, they use the juice balls again, like the <laughs> field of dreams game. There was like seven home runs in that field of dreams game. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think you, like you said, they don't know what they want. Baseball doesn't mm-hmm. know what they want. They want, they want more offense. They want more home runs, but you know, then e- even, even though that is exciting, it does, I don't know. It, it does. It does hurt the game in a sense. Like it does make it more more predictable, or maybe less fun to watch in a way where everyone's just swinging for the fences. Um, you know, it's they're, they're, they're certainly messing with the ball. I don't mind baseball. I mean, I, I don't mind baseball right now because the Mets are winning. <laughs> like that's really why I don't mind baseball. Um, but I don't think I don't think you know I don't think less home runs is necessarily a bad thing. Like obviously, yeah. it, it is, home runs are always fun, but. Um, you know, I think I think if if they want to get a game where, um, you know, it's it's it, I guess it, it's it's able to keep fans engaged a lot a lot easier. I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, I'm you know, like I said, I, I I don't mind it at all. I do I do. It always, it is always nice to see some nice station to station hitting. You know, moving guys over. You know, singles, doubles, like dinking and dunking. It's it's never it's that is always fun to watch. Um, so I don't really mind the style of play baseball is in right now, but I, like you said, I think they don't know what they want and they have to figure out what they want and just stop messing with, with the baseball because it, it just leads to a lot of wackiness where guys have these crazy one-off seasons out of nowhere. And you really don't, you know what I mean? You, you, you don't know what to expect from any given player year to year outside of like the elite, truly elite guys. Um, so either way, baseball is going to figure it out, but I, I like where the game is at, at the moment. The theory I've seen floating around is that because they're trying to speed up the game, that's why they've deadened the balls, because they want to minimize pitching changes. They want to encourage the ball to be in play. That's the theory I've seen floating around as to why this season in particular, because the home run rate's down, I think, 0.88 tenths of a percent, which after three weeks doesn't sound like a lot, but over the course of, you know, every team's games, that is a whole lot of pitches when you think about it in the just the sheer volume of pitches that happen in the course of a baseball game so i think that's a reasonable theory i know baseball is has a lot of these little things on the table i know the minor leagues some of the games are having the pitch clock and the limit on the number of times you can make pitching changes and they're trying to come up with ways to incentivize starters to stay in the game longer and they're still trying to figure out what this era of baseball is looking like And it's weird because baseball has the longest history in sports in the United States. So to see these radical changes in the way the game is played 
from the people who orchestrate the game as opposed to the teams themselves, it is kind of jarring. And that is kind of why some of the old heads are kind of annoying about this. Yeah, I mean, there are people that still want pitchers to hit in the yes. National League. Like, I mean, come on, like, get 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 a grip. Uh, I, 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 like, I don't mind shorter games. Honestly, like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't know how you feel about this, but I didn't mind the seven inning doubleheaders last year. I thought they were last two years. I didn't mind them. Like, 18 innings of baseball is a lot. It's a lot. Yeah, I sat through it on Tuesday. (laughs) I know. Yeah, you sat through it. You were at City Field for seven hours on Tuesday. Um, You know, I mean, I would have been there too if I wasn't up early that morning, but you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a lot of baseball. Like, I don't think seven inning doubleheaders was, was the bad thing. Um, I can, I guess I can, I can understand to a point why they went back to the nine innings. Um, but speeding up the game, like that's been, that's been the thing that they've wanted to do for so long. And now we're seeing it like it's, it's starting to come to fruition with the pitch clock. Cause I think, I think Passon said it a couple of days yeah. ago where in the minor leagues, so, so far it's a small sample size, obviously, but so far in the minor leagues, it's, it's the pitch clock is shaving an average of like 20 minutes off, off game times in the minor leagues. Um, I think there was even a game that went like an hour 45 the other day, which that is extremely short time. That's like, that's is, that is no time at all for a baseball game. Um, But like I said, I don't think, I don't think quicker games are necessarily a bad thing because pretty much every other sport, you know, it's the, 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 the timing is, it's a lot more uniform, even, even, you know, it's not, it's not exact like soccer is usually, or, you know, European football, but um yeah, like I, I think and all the all these sports have shorter times. Like hockey's three twenty minute periods. Basketball is what four twelve minute quarters. Football is four fifteen minute quarters. So like all these all these sports basically run like an hour, and you know obviously they, they go a little longer than the hour because of stoppages and everything. But baseball, I mean, there's there's no time. There's yeah. literally no clock to it. It can go as as long as it wants. It, there could be a baseball game played for eight hours, you know, or twelve. I mean, it could be played forever, yeah. theoretically. So. You know, um, it is, it is, I, I, I think it's a good thing that they're, they're trying to speed the game up and I'm, I'm like, I said, I'm looking forward to the, to the, to the pitch clock thing. I'm, I'm, it's interesting. I like, I'd like to talk about it now, but I think we should, it's kind of not worth it to talk, go too deep into it at this moment because you know what I mean? That's a change for next year. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like it's, it's, it's interesting what they're doing. I think it's smart what they're doing and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm excited for that. All right. The last thing we'll touch on before we wrap up, the Grom is supposed to get his MRI on Monday. If he's able, how important would you say the Grom being good to go to start pitching in six weeks from now, four weeks from now, if everything is good on Monday for the Mets big picture chances? I think I think it's incredibly important. Um, I think we see this a lot where, with with teams where they have a star player who gets hurt, um, and they had they'll have like smaller guys step into that role, and I don't say all the time, but they, I, it's it's often enough where guys step in for a superstar, and they they do a good job like a, yeah. a, almost even comparable job at sometimes like filling in for that superstar um, and keeping the team afloat. Um, but I think a lot of times it happens a lot more when the superstar is supposed to come back at some point. Like, yeah. I think, I think with, with, I, I, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's actually in their heads, but I think a part of in their heads, like for like Tyler McGill or David Peterson or, you know, whoever else in that staff who feels the pressure to like, to like pick up some of the workload that is left with Jacob DeGrom out. They're probably thinking like, okay, he's going to be, he's only going to be out for like a month or two. He'll be back by, by the all-star break. Um, so like, I just have to, I have to get to that point and then he can, he can kind of take over and like take yeah. on some of the, take on some, you know, some of the, some of the load of this, of this team. But when you get to a point like if, if he has the MRI on Monday and it's a nightmare scenario, knock on wood, it's it's not. Um, but like you know, he's out for the year, he's out for even longer than that. I think it, it almost kind of sets in where it's like, okay, crap, like now it's all on me. Like I have to keep doing this, I have to keep this up because we're not gonna get the Grom at any point this year. So now we have to do this without him. We can't we can't expect him to come back at any point. And I think that puts an extra pressure on on the rest of the players on the team. 
Like yeah. losing, knowing that that superstar player isn't going to be here at all. You're not going to have him this year. I think that puts an extra pressure on. And then I, I think if, if so, I think that, I think just like mindset wise, I think that is the, the biggest thing. Obviously when healthy is the best pitcher in baseball. So that's obviously huge too. But I think mindset wise, um, that's almost just as important. Tim having a good MRI on Monday and being able to, to, to return to the mound in a relatively decent time frame. Yeah. I mean, if you have 15 starts, 100 innings, 90 innings, that makes a world of difference. I mean, I think it was you who said last week that if they even wanted to, you go to a six-man rotation, so that way there's less wear and tear on everybody, and then by the time September comes around, you're more or less ready to go. You've got extra ammo. You can slide someone into the bullpen. You can have Tyler McGill as your swing guy for a best-of-five series, be the first one out of the bullpen if shit gets hairy, because realistically that would be one of the best if not the best one two threes in all of baseball in degrom scherzer bassett if everybody's good to go it even just gives them extra insurance like you said like having be able to move guys to the bullpen because we're already seeing it kind of you know bite them in the ass right now where i don't know what game i think either i think on some game next week they're gonna i think it might be saturday there's some something this weekend they're gonna have to spot start a guy yeah because the double header that they had to play on Tuesday where McGill and Scherzer both pitched. And now you don't want to pitch either, either one of them on short rest on Saturday. I think it is. So you, they're going to have to spot start a guy. And normally the spot start would come from a David Peterson or a Tyler McGill. Um, but with the Grom out and then Taiwan Walker still, still rehabbing. Um, they don't have another guy to fill in for that spot. So they're going to have to spot. So like they have five, but when you get, you know, when you get these unforeseen developments, like having to, having to pitch a double header, then you're left in a in a in a pretty bad spot for another game in the future, like they are right now. Thankfully, this game on Saturday where they had the spot start, probably gonna be Trevor Williams. I'm pretty sure it's against the Diamondbacks. Yeah. So you know what I mean? If you wanna if you wanna spot start Trevor Williams against any team, the Diamondbacks are probably that team. Um, you know, but but still, like you're already seeing that that hurt the Mets, DeGrom being out because one other guy goes down, and then you're you're in a really tough spot where you're you're kind of between a rock and a hard place trying to make sure that um, that everybody gets the proper rest. And, you know, if any, you know, if anything unforeseen happens, you're in a tough spot. So again, yeah, him being back is just huge on all accounts. I'm still under the assumption that come trade deadline, they are going to add another starter just because I feel like if you're a real world series contender, you kind of have to add a starter at the deadline. It's not, yeah, it doesn't I, have to be anyone crazy, but I feel like you have to go get at least one you, more arm. Yeah, you, you need another arm. Because, like, yeah, it does, it, I don't even – it should be anybody crazy. Because, like you said, to get to the postseason, three-man rotation, you got DeGrom, DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett. Like, I guess theoretically you could, you could kick one of those guys to the bullpen if you get, like, a really big starter, you know, like like kind of what the Nationals did with Patrick Corbin yeah. when they won a few years ago. Like, Corbin was – like, he, he started a few games, but he was also, like, kind of a reliever too. Um, for for a decent bit of that postseason, it's like you could do that with Bassett if you get to that point in the postseason. But yeah, I mean, you really like they don't need a top end arm; they just need an arm that they can throw out there, you know, every once in a while in a spot situation, or like yeah. if a guy needs an extra day of rest or someone gets injured again, you just need an arm that can go out there and you're confident they can give you five six innings of like I three mean, run ball and keep just that- just go out there to give the bullpen a rest and to keep your lineup in the game, and that's all you need. Because that's what sank them last year. They died a death by a thousand cuts with the to-be-decided starter, whether it was Trevor Williams, whether it was Jared Eikhoff, or whoever. Just That's what killed them last year. And they went into the season a pitcher short because they banked on Carrasco being ready by opening day, which he wasn't. He didn't come back till I think, August or late July. And that's what sank them. They had way too many games that were punts. You, you need... Realistically, you probably need seven to eight guys who can give you five innings not all of them have to be good but you need two guys in your bullpen or in triple a who can give you five innings every other month on a spot start situation yeah and and then like even when carrasco came back he came back early like he wasn't yeah. ready to come back last year but they needed him to come back because they were that desperate for starting pitching and you said they had they had zero depth last year they they dfa'd and re-signed jared eikhoff like three times last year, just because like they needed arms. They literally needed arms so badly 
So that is like you said, that is what they have to avoid this year. Like that is what's gonna that's what sunk them last year. And it could sink them this year if if you know if they get a couple more, you know, unlucky, unlucky injuries or unlucky breaks just anywhere in the rotation. Like they need they need also like as of right now, all these guys have been pretty much they've all been great at this point in the season. It's incredibly early, but like as 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 I don't know. Like it, it is not the craziest thing in the world to, to to think that like Carrasco and Taiwan Walker could have like to put could put together like a pretty decent full season because like they've done it in the past. Um but like you can't necessarily just expect them to yes. be to be good. Like they they're there probably is going to come a point some point in the season where one or two of those guys, or like even like a McGill again or Peterson, like one or two of those four guys is gonna fall off a cliff. And yeah. they're they're going to be almost unplayable for a certain point. It's like you again, you need arms in case that happens. Like not even just injuries. Like everybody could be healthy, but these guys just might not continue to pitch like they're pitching right now because they're all they're all pitching like great right now. Even even when you know Bassett and Miguel struggled in the beginnings of their last their last starts respectively, they both turned it around like after a few innings and finished great. So like you can't you just I don't know you can't expect all of these guys to stay healthy the whole year. And pitch as good as they've been doing yeah. all year. Yeah, and the pitch grade. Like it's just not gonna happen. It's just I mean, you're yeah, not they, gonna get you're not gonna get five or six guys healthy and great the whole season. Somebody's gonna get hurt, somebody's somebody's gonna fall off a cliff. You have to have insurance policies for that. And the trade deadlines when they're gonna have to do that. And like I said, they don't have like we said, they don't have to it doesn't have to be anybody great. They don't have to go out and get Frankie Montas, but go out and get somebody who's who's a good back end starter. That's all you need. Yeah, I mean Bad market is always weird. Like last year, it was what Kenta Maeda, or no, it was Berrios. If they would take the Donaldson contract, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Berrios might be cooked though, so it's kind of good they avoided that. Yeah. All right, that'll just about do it for today's show. I want to thank Chris for stopping by. Chris, let the people know about the sports report, and we'll get everyone out of here. Have a good weekend. The Sports Report with Christopher Schweitzer. It's my podcast. Do it uh, live every Wednesdays at 7 p.m. on HudsonRiverRadio.com. But if you're busy or you don't feel like tuning in at that specific time, it also gets put up as a podcast on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Spreaker. So wherever you listen to your podcast should be on there. Go download it. Listen to it. Leave it a review. Follow me on on Twitter and Instagram at HRR Sports Report. Um, I, you could find my personal accounts on there. I'm not going to bother trying to spell out my last name because it's too complicated. Um, so just go follow the sports report at HRR sports report. My personal accounts will be on there. You can find my personal account from those accounts. So go follow the sports report, go follow me, download the show. Um, and if you like it, share it with somebody. And yeah, I think that's, that's enough plugging for me. So thank you for, for letting me come on again. I always enjoy talking about baseball. Yeah, man, we might. This might just be the weekly thing. Like you're the manager of the Mets or the Yankees on FAN. You might just have to do once a week, and we'll bounce around all the different things because <laughs> we have we got MLB TV, so we're just watching copious amounts of baseball. I've watched more baseball than hockey in the last two weeks since baseball started. I've watched more baseball, so that's, we're definitely that's a lot for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the problem with hockey is every team is basically locked into the playoffs. There's one playoff spot available, and it's been like that basically for three months now. So hockey's been kind of boring because everyone's just in a holding pattern. But hockey playoffs are on the horizon. We got baseball really getting underway. Mike Trout should be back. Uh, Otani almost threw a perfect game last night. Baseball's fun, man. I hope everybody has a great weekend. We will see you on Monday.